now is the time for the reader to qualify. Um, good morning. My name is Andrea, and I'm a compulsive overeater. <laughs> I would like to thank Michael for asking me to come out and participate in my own recovery. I'm really grateful to be here with you today and to be abstinent. And I have to say that that's really a miracle because I was not happy to come to Overeaters and <laughs> when I first got here. Um, I have some photos of what it was like. I'm going to pass those around. Um, I'm going to start with what it was like as a little kid, you know, because that's where I think um, it all began for me. I, um, I remember when I think back to being a little kid, I remember the, the first memory I have is a memory of fear. I was afraid of everything, you know. I just, life felt really uncomfortable to me. I was always tightly wound. I was a very anxious little kid. I was afraid of the other kids at school. My mom was a very, um, she had a Latin personality. She yelled a lot, and she had a very unpredictable temper, and I was afraid of her. And I just remember always hiding, you know. I would hide under tables. I would hide in closets. And life just felt really, um, you know, it kind of felt like, like metal grinding on metal or fingernails on a chalkboard. I just couldn't do it, you know, and I found sugar right away. That was my first love. And I wasn't an overweight little kid because all I ate was sugar, you know, anytime I could get it. I um, I remember at a really early age um, stealing from my parents. They had this big um, sparkless bottle, uh, you know, an empty water bottle, and they put all their change in there. And I would go and pour it out and, you know, take all the quarters. <laughs> and then I was, I was smart, though. I would, like, save some of the quarters and sprinkle them back on top, you know, so they, so they wouldn't know that their money was missing. And I would go to the, you know, the drugstore and, and buy candy. And when I was a kid, I could get a lot of candy for, you know, I could get a candy bar for a quarter. So, you know, I would always come back, you know, just, like, double-fisted with candy, and I would hide it in my room. And I didn't eat regular food. I just ate sugar. So <laughs> I was very skinny um, until I was about, I guess, before I became, in my preteen years, I started gaining weight. Um, my parents got divorced. And um, I know that I just, you know, I felt very, um, all my life I felt like something was wrong with me, but I didn't know what it was. I just knew something was really wrong. And um, I always felt that there was something, like, kind of like a veil separating me from everybody else. It, it almost felt like, um, you know, during the holidays when you pass by the store windows and they're decorated with all the Christmas decor and you're kind of looking in and it just looks so beautiful, but there's that glass between you and, and everything. That's the way I felt with life. I always felt like I was kind of removed looking out. And um, my first escape as a little kid was books. You know, I just would read. I always had my nose in a book. And I didn't have any friends because I... Um, I, I was afraid to talk to the other kids. I, I always suspected that I was crazy. I didn't know why I felt so different. So I thought I was crazy. And my solution was just to not speak to the other kids. So I was a loner. You know, I would sit alone, like, during nutrition, during lunch. And I would read a book. And um, that was pretty much my life, you know. I, um, I was an isolator before I knew what isolating meant. And I just, I just, it was too painful to even try. I was so self-obsessed as a little kid. Um, so I discovered ice cream when I was about 12 or 13, and uh, that changed my life. <laughs> my mother was dating somebody who um, would bring over um, a gallon of Baskin Robbins mitten chip ice cream every time he saw my mom, and I loved this man. <laughs> and, you know, they would go out on their date, and I would plop myself down in front of the TV and eat the entire gallon. And they would go out a few times a week, and he was doing this maybe three or four times a week. And I, I started gaining weight pretty quickly, and then I discovered the combination of fat and sugar, and I was often running.
thing with that. You know, I would, um, I loved cookie dough, especially raw cookie dough. So in the middle of the night when my family was asleep, I would get up and go into the kitchen and make cookies and not really bake them. I would just make the dough and take it back to my room and eat it. Um, <laughs> that was something that followed me because like even in my, you know, later years of my, my eating, I would, I would, my binging, I would go to the grocery store and buy those like tubes of, of um, cookie dough and be like squirting it, you know, <laughs> down my, my throat. So um, I started gaining weight as a little kid and um, uh, I was much heavier than the rest of the kids in my like fifth grade and sixth grade. And by seventh grade, I, I really couldn't stand being bigger than the other kids. And I complained to my mom about it and she, um, she took me to see a doctor and I was actually prescribed uh, diet pills at that age. So I started this um, love affair with amphetamines, you know, at about age 14. And uh, it really worked, you know. <laughs> I was, uh, I had a lot of energy and I was, you know, not really that hungry. But I still had those weight fluctuations. Um, by the time I went to, to um, oh, by the time I was about 18, I went to Paris, France. I went there and I uh, signed up with a modeling agency. I had these big dreams of being a model. And I signed up with a really good, well-respected agency. And, um, you know, I was getting some bookings and I would meet the clients and show them my book and then I would, you know, go for a fitting and I would, I would book the job. I'd go for the first fitting and then I would come back for the final fitting and I'd be two sizes bigger. And they could never understand, you know, what's going on with this, this person and I would, I lost, I started losing a lot of jobs. So my agency was one of the first agencies that started having a plus size division. So they switched me over to their plus size division and I was like one of the first three like plus size models over in, in Europe. And, I was really successful at it and I hated it, <laughs> you know, I, I, it was something that I was actually kind of ashamed of and I never told my friends back here in the United States that I was doing plus size modeling. They would want to see my photos and I would like hide it, I'd be like, oh, my book is lost in storage or this, like, I would lie to them because I had this shame about, about the weight, you know. And um, I did that until I was about age 24 and then I came back to the States and, um, you know, my eating kind of took off at that point. You know? I was dating, and I remember my boyfriend, I would, my weight would always swing back and forth about like, 50 pounds. And I remember my boyfriend being kind of confused and saying something like, you know, you're about twice the size of when I met you. <laughs> What's going on here? And, and I didn't know. I didn't have any answers. I just knew that, you know, um, I tried everything. I would, I would diet, diet, diet. And, you know, every diet worked. I did, I did everything, every commercial diet that you've probably heard about, you know, the Lindoras, the Jenny Craig's, the Weight Watchers. Um, I did the pills, the fenfen, I did um, liposuction, I, I did illegal drugs, I did everything that I could think of to control and manage my weight and nothing worked. And by the time I got into my late 30s, I, I had also discovered alcohol and I'm a recovering alcoholic. I had about five years in that program and you know, I had to get sober first before I could take a look at my food. So I, I went through that and I, I got sober. and. Um, you know, I was still binging like crazy. I had, um, if you look at my pictures, I, I think my top weight was about 253 pounds. That's what um, I have on a, a medical report from a doctor. I don't know exactly what my top weight was. I think I was higher than that. Um, but I just know how I felt, you know. I felt like that I wanted to die. I was, um, I was so out of control with the binging. You know, I had given up trying to diet. I just didn't have one more diet in me. And I, was, I had kind of surrendered to my disease, to, to overeating, and I just kind of felt like whatever was going to happen was going to happen, and I, I gave up. So I, um, I went along this way for a while, you know. I, um, I remember, 
some of my binges. I I was always a very secretive overeater. You know, I like to be alone with my food, and I never talked about it. No one really saw me overeating. I always did it alone. Um, I always felt like as long as I had my food and my TV that I would be okay. You know, I could get through life that way. And I also kind of felt like with alcohol, that allowed me to participate in life, but like food allowed me to get through life. You know, that was like my comfort blanket. That was my safety. And it had become my best friend, you know. I, I couldn't wait to uh, for the weekend because I would binge all weekend long. Um, I had gotten to this point where I only had one pair of pants that still fit me, and, <laughs> you know, those pants would like were not fitting me all the time. I would binge all weekend, and then by Monday I'd have to uh, call in fat to work because my pants <laughs> My pants wouldn't fit me, <laughs> and I or my stomach. And I started getting a lot of health problems from my overeating. I had um, high blood pressure, which I had to take medication for. And my doctor was wanting to put me on a diabetes medication. And um, I was almost there, where, where I I was almost ready to surrender to that as well. And I got to this point where um, I started wondering if there was another answer, if there was another solution. I I had some recovery in this program, and I knew some people in my program that were in Overeaters Anonymous, so I'd heard about Overeaters Anonymous, and I'd seen that it works for them, and I made a couple of attempts earlier. Um, I had called Michael, a friend of mine, and I made a few outreach calls, but I wasn't ready. I was, I was still not able to get honest about what I was eating. I had a, a lot of shame about my food, and, you know, I would go to grocery stores, and I, I really loved birthday cake. For some reason, I would buy, like, the whole sheet cake, and then I would buy the chips and the dips and all the things, and I would lie to the cashier, and nobody cares what you're eating, but I would tell them I'm having a birthday party for my niece, you know, <laughs> or I remember going to the um, takeout places, and, like, I would go to multiple fast food restaurants, and, like, if I was at one, I would, like, get the food, and I would hide it in my back seat, because I didn't want the next person that was selling me the food to, like, see the bags from the other place. And it's just crazy. I can't believe that I, like, thought that they would even care that I had, like, multiple, you know, bags in my car. But, but you know, that's just a shame that I had. And then I remember um, seeing another friend of mine lose about 100 pounds in Overeaters Anonymous. And um, I watched his journey. You know, I had seen him before, and I saw his journey, and I saw the weight loss. And I, I really was ready, you know, um, or I thought I was ready. <laughs> so I had gotten to this point where I was overeating so much that I was um, I was actually sick, you know. I had become, um, I had a lot of acid reflux, and I would actually throw up, like, in the middle of the night and wake up, you know, with that. And it was just, um, I was really in a lot of pain. I was in a lot of physical pain. But more than that, I was in emotional pain. I was in such a dark place because I felt so out of control with my eating. I just felt like, where is it going to stop, you know? Um, and I, I kind of knew and I could kind of see that it wasn't going to stop. I was going to keep going. So I, um, I got to this dark place where I guess I hit my bottom, you know, and I, I came to a meeting. I actually didn't come alone. My best friend came with me. And I remember sitting in the meeting. Serenity Sunday was the first one that I went to, and that's my home group now. Oh, and my abstinence date is uh, April 2nd, 2013, so I have a year and about four months of recovery. And I have a weight loss of about um, 77 pounds today, and um, I'm so grateful for that. And I have a sponsor. Her name is Shelly. And those things are really important to me today, you know. Um, so I, I went to Sunday Sunday. My best friend came with me. I remember kind of like sitting in my seat. And, you know, I'd been in other meetings before, so I, I thought I should feel comfortable, but I didn't. I just wanted to run out of the room. And I remember looking at my friend, and she was chit-chatting with people in the meeting and having a good time. And I was just like, what is that about? Like, I hate it here, you know. But this was the last place I wanted to be. I just did not want to be a compulsive overeater. <laughs> and I was, you know. And, and you know, people told me to um, 
I should give it a chance. Why don't you go to six meetings before you decide if you, you know, you're a compulsive overeater or not? And I'm so glad that they told me that because it literally took until my sixth meeting for me to feel comfortable and to identify and really believe that I belonged here. Um, in the meantime, my first few meetings, I remember um, I had so much shame about the way I was eating that when I would hear people identify as compulsive overeaters, I heard repulsive overeater. <laughs> and it has nothing to do with you guys. It's how I felt about myself, you know, all the shame. So I went to some meetings, and um, I started, it took me about six months to get the abstinence that I have today. You know, my first abstinence was um, was no binging because I was a big, a volume binge eater. And, you know, I, they, I tried not binging, but I could only get a couple of days, you know, between binges. And I would binge, and then I would come to meetings, and I would binge after meetings, but I kept coming back. And, um, and then there was a time where I didn't come back, you know. I had kind of thought maybe that, that OA wasn't working for me. And I remember somebody telling me that OA doesn't work for you, you work for OA. And that got my attention, you know. And, and I, um, I, I had a little more binging to do, and I, I remember um, just being in a lot of pain over it. And my friend David was at another meeting, and I, I just went up to him. I had been crying all morning. I went up to him, and I said, I just can't do this. I can't live like this anymore. And he said, why don't you come to a meeting with me? So he took me to Serenity Sunday again, and I sat there, and I guess I was really ready to hear the message that morning. You know, my sponsor was speaking there. And I'm sure people had talked about it before, but I heard her talking. She was able to carry the message to me. I heard her talking about alcoholic foods and how, you know, we have this allergy of the body, and when we take in our alcoholic foods, you know, we get the obsession of the mind and the allergy of the body, and, and I cannot safely eat my alcoholic foods. And I finally, like, the light bulb went on, and I got it. I'm like, oh, that's why I, I'm binging, because I'm still eating these things that I'm allergic to, you know. And, and that was kind of my beginning. I started there, and I, I went right up to her, and I, um, I asked for her phone number, and I called her that night, and I asked her to sponsor me that night. <laughs> And she didn't say yes right away. She said, um, are you willing to go to any lengths for your recovery? And I said, yes. And she said, I'd like you to write about it and call me back when you're finished. And so I called her back in like 30 minutes. I like wrote, I'm like, I'm willing, you know. And and she said, I'd like you to, you know, make a list of your um, binge foods, you know, foods that you, you know, your red light foods. So I did that and I like called her right back once again in like another 30 minutes. And and it started, our, our journey started together. I'm so grateful that I met her. She's been such an amazing gift to my, my program, you know. Um, we defined a, an abstinence for me and a food plan. And um, my abstinence today is um, three meals a day and two optional snacks. And I abstain from eating um, white sugar and, I'm sorry, yeah, white sugar, well, all sugar, <laughs> white flour. <laughs> and uh, for me, I had to put cheese on there, too. And um, and I commit my food. I, I, I do a 10th step every night, and I commit my food on that 10th step. Sometimes it's the morning before, but it's always before I eat the food. It's, it's always committed. If I have to go to a restaurant or something and it's unexpected, I will texture my food before I eat it. And that has worked. It served me really well. You know, at first I hated that. <laughs> it felt like kind of like a noose around my neck. And, and I actually work in the food industry. So I'm a caterer, I'm around food, and we just opened a restaurant. So I'm around food all day long, and um, the fact that we just opened a new restaurant was really um, difficult. It was a challenge because we do a lot of R&D, which is like research and development of new menu items, and we all have to taste it. (laughs) And so I had this, I was pretty new in the program, and I had this chef that didn't understand me suddenly not being able to eat these foods. And uh, I remember one time he said, I demand that you eat this. 
And I said, I can't. And he complained to my boss, and he said, how is she going to sell our food if she doesn't know what it tastes like, you know? And so I had to have that moment where I had to, I went up to my boss, and I had to discuss this with her and tell her, you know, that I, I'm not able to eat certain things. I have an allergy. And I became willing at that point to go to any length. I knew that if my boss said it wasn't okay with her, that I'd have to look for another job. And I was willing to do that because it meant more to me to have my absence and to keep it and hold on to it. So luckily for me, my boss was okay with it. You know, I just have people describe what certain things taste like. And, you know, if a client asks me if I tried it, I will say no, I, I don't eat it, but I've heard this and this about it. But that usually doesn't happen. I'm usually able to describe it well enough to where <laughs> they buy it, you know. And um, I'm an event planner, and I, part of my job is selling the, the menu items and designing menus for them. So that's been an interesting journey. Um, I, I've been absent now for over a year, and I just feel I, I've been working the steps with my sponsor, and I feel a freedom and a clarity that I've never felt before. You know, I was always a slave to my emotions all my life. I always had this kind of, um, I would call it my thinking. You know, I didn't know it then when I was a little kid, but I always had these thoughts in my mind that went something like, you know, you're not good enough, nobody loves you. Uh, you don't matter. Those are kind of the three like main things. And it was kind of like a little, um, kind of the background music to my life, basically. <laughs> and I, I carried it with me for a long time. I mean, even today, it still comes up. But I have tools now through the program to to address it. But you know, that was kind of my thinking. And, and through doing the inventory, my step work, and um, developing a, a conscious contact with my higher power, and and doing the inventory, I've really discovered so many things. And since putting down the food, you know, they say when you put down the food, you see what you ate. And that happened for me. All the emotions started coming up. And I realized that I didn't want to feel my feelings ever. And I used food to numb out so I didn't have to feel those feelings, you know. And some things happened to me when I was a little girl that shouldn't happen to kids. And I don't think that that made me a compulsive overeater, but I do believe that it allowed me to be a victim for a really long time, you know. And through doing like a, a, my fourth step and my fifth step, I realized that we have a part. You know, I never saw my part in anything. And some things are justified, and you know, you may not have had a part in what somebody else did to you, but my part was carrying that with me and, and labeling myself a victim all my life, you know. So, um, so the, the beautiful thing about realizing you have a part in something is that, you know, if nobody, if you don't have a part and things just happen to you, then you you really are powerless. There's nothing that can can change it. But if you do have a part, there's all the hope in the world that things can change, you know, and. Um, Gosh. So I did my fourth and my fifth step with my sponsor, and I just felt this this freedom and this clarity. I feel today that I know who I am, and I feel um, I feel this sense of freedom from my thinking. You know, I always had. I didn't realize that that most of my um, pain and suffering came from the way I I saw the world. You know, I saw the world as a very scary place. I felt like everybody was out to get me, and I thought that I was always in danger. And I'm realizing now that that. I was looking at the world through a broken lens, basically. You know, it's like if you're looking through a car window that has a big crack in it, everything has that kind of crack. Um, so I was looking at the world through a skewed um, perception, and I'm starting to see things in a, a light that is um, very loving today. You know, I'm starting to feel more more self-love. I'm starting to feel more self-acceptance. You know, um, I have a lot of body issues. You know, being in the industry that I was in for a while, I was very critical of the way I looked, and um, nothing was okay. And I'm starting to to be okay with myself, and I'm starting to um, 
to really want to participate in life again, you know? And I hadn't felt that way in a long time, but I'm curious about life, and I realized that food is, you know, just, food is, my, my sponsor says <laughs> that food is nourishment, you know? I still think food is a little sexy, you know? She'll tell me, <laughs> she'll tell me that, you know, when I send her my, my, just my food plan, it sounds like you're writing up a delicious like menu item, you know. I'm really descriptive and describing the way everything is, but um, all the ingredients. But um, you know, it is nourishment, and I get to eat three meals a day, and I get life in between. You know, I get to live my life, and I don't have the obsession of food calling to me. And for me, that's the greatest gift. And I'm so grateful to be here with you today. Thank you. This is the time for questions only. There is no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leader are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. It's being recorded. Please remember if you ask a question, your voice may be audible on the OA podcast. Any questions? You're welcome. What is my relationship with my higher power? Did I have one before I came into the program? And what is my relationship with my daily basis? Um, I'd be happy to answer that. Um, when I first came to the program, I had a concept of God. I believe that there was a God, but I didn't believe that I, a God could be personal to me. I didn't believe that I could have any kind of a connection with a higher power. Um, and it took a long time. I would say that um, I had to do, I did two inventories. You know, I did an inventory in, in my AA program, and I did one in my OA program now. And it wasn't until my OA program that I really felt a connection with my higher power. I didn't realize that, that the food had actually been blocking me from, I believe the food had been blocking me from a, a connection with my higher power. So once I was able to put the food down, I was able to seek my higher power in a different way. And for me, I had to do a lot of writing about it. And what came up for me was that I was afraid of my higher power. And how can you turn your will and your life over to something that you're afraid of? So I had to really get into the causes and conditions of that, my fear. and. Um, I had to find a new higher power. I had to find one that, that I felt comfortable with. And today I've done that. You know, it's still evolving. But today I believe that, um, you know, I believe that a relationship with your higher power is a relationship. And you need to work on it every day. And so I, I do writing. Um, I, well, first of all, I pray. Like when I'm in bed, I'm the type of person that wakes up and my first thought is, I can't do this day. <laughs> you know, so that's step one. I'm at step one, like right when I wake up. And I learned from my sponsor, you can do step one, two, and three right away. And the shorthand for that is, I can't, God can, let him. You know, so I do that right away. Like when I open my eyes, I'm like, I can't do this day. Okay, God, help me. <laughs> you know, and then I'm willing to let him. Then I can get up out of bed. And I, I pray, and I, I try to hit my knees every morning and pray. Sometimes my dog wants to go out for a walk, so I walk my dog first and pray while I'm walking my dog and come back. And just recently I've started writing a Dear God letter, and it's been beautiful. Um, I, I, I love what comes up from that. You know, in the morning I'll just write Dear God and I'll let the pen flow. And, you know, sometimes I'll start with my fears, like I'm afraid of this or this or this, please help me with it. And then sometimes it'll just be like, thank you for this beautiful day, you know. And a lot of different things come up. And I feel from doing the letter and from my prayers and, and also doing the investigation, you know. I really, um, I did a lot of um, seeking, you know, and a lot of it for me was 
getting into enough pain where I did seek my higher power. <laughs> For me, touchstone, you know, pain was the touchstone of that kind of spiritual growth. And um, I found that for me, when I hit my bottom emotionally, that's where I found God. You know, God was there. God is always there, but he was there for me when I hit my bottoms. And and I feel that um, God is in the, the pauses that we take before we take action. You know, um, before I eat, sometimes, you know, if I'm craving something, if I can just pause and ask, invite God in, you know, that's where God is. And, and I believe that God is in meetings. When we come to our meetings, you know, God is here. And when I make outreach calls, it's like a prayer. When I call my sponsor, I think of that as a prayer. But I feel like I have a contact with God all the time, all throughout the day. Thank you. Any other questions? Yeah. And yes. Um, I started, my sponsor asked me to start doing a 10 step right away when she first began working with me. And for me, my 10 step is out of page, you know, 86, 87 upon retiring, I just have each question spaced out, you know, like, do I owe an apology, do, you know, all those questions, and I answer each one, like, am I afraid, is it self-centered fear, that kind of thing. So, um, I feel like doing the 10th step has really taken a lot of steam out of my fears, you know, because um, I'm writing about them, I'm writing about, you know, the self-centeredness of the fear, like, where it's coming from, do I own amends, you know, do I need to tell somebody right away, like, I answer all those questions, and then, my sponsor and I will talk about it the next morning if something came up. I also, um, you know, submit my food on the 10th step, and then I also include a gratitude list and a couple of uh, other questions as well as far as, like, what went well for me that day. Um, and it just puts me in a different place. I do that. I try to do it before I go to sleep. And if I can be in a place of gratitude and looking at the things that went right for me that day instead of all the things that I think went wrong, <laughs> it definitely puts me in a better place and it make, helps me be more connected to my higher power. But it's also the 10th step is a meditative step, you know, where you are supposed to ask your higher power, like, for corrective measures. <laughs> I don't always do that, but sometimes I will, you know, I'll seek God's guidance on, on different things and then I'll talk about it with my sponsor the next day. Um, that's pretty much it for the template. Okay. Yes. Thank you. As somebody who was in the modeling business and is a business, have you been presented and if so, have you taken on any particular 12 step opportunity? I don't understand. In, in, a, pub, in a public way? How have you walked this way by other people in either of those worlds and have you been able to? No, I have not. Um, I do. You know, because my weight loss is significant, I get a lot of questions about it, um, especially people that haven't seen me for a while. So um, anytime somebody asks me how you lost the weight, I do break my anonymity and I tell them that I, I you know, came to OA and I got help here. Yeah. I believe service is a very important role in recovery. Um, I am sponsoring. I have a sponsee. I am... Um, you know, I have two programs, so I try to um, divide my service equally between both of them. <laughs> but um, I have a commitment at um, my meetings, and um, I, you know, I just try to give back wherever I can. I, I try to welcome the newcomers. I try to shake hands. I try to, um, you know, pick up chairs as, people, as you know, the meetings or set up chairs. I believe service. You know, I, I did an H and I panel for a long time, but that's you know, when you're going out and speaking on panels. I, um, I, let's see, what else is I said? I think service is, um, 
what I'm doing today as well. So step call. You know, I just say yes. Whenever I'm asked to do anything in program, I say yes. Thank you. Yeah. Um, do you get overwhelmed with, like, the other things you do? <laughs> I get overwhelmed, like, minute by minute, really. <laughs> um, sometimes I I feel resentment um, in the past. It's getting better now. But I used to feel resentment for all the things I had to do just to live normally, just to feel comfortable in my own skin. It takes a lot of work, <laughs> you know, and I used to um, I used to feel a little bit of resentment towards that, but I, I don't anymore. I feel... Um, I feel that I have a life today that is so good that it's worth it. It's worth all the work, you know. It's worth um, the way I feel today. I would never want to give back. I never want to go back to where I was before. I wanted to die, you know. I didn't want to live anymore. I didn't want to go on. I couldn't imagine life ever feeling good. I just always had that dark cloud over me. And I don't feel that way today, and I don't want to lose that. So I'm willing to do the 10 steps. I'm willing to do the service. I'm willing to go to the meetings. I, I go to three OA meetings a week, and um, I just, I believe that, you know, I work my program, like my life depends on it, because I believe it does. So that just keeps me really motivated to keep going. <laughs> yes. Well, I know who I am today. I think it's evolving, definitely. I may feel differently a year from now. I know I'm still fairly new in this program, so things could change. but. I feel comfortable in my own skin today, and I never felt that way. All my life, I felt like I wanted to be somebody else, you know, and I, I just felt so um, so uncomfortable and so anxious all the time. Like, I was a very jumpy person, and I just, you know, I was afraid to get close to other people, I was, and I don't know really what I was afraid of, but I never wanted to show people the real me, um, and I didn't even know what that was, really, but I just knew that you probably wouldn't like it, you know? <laughs> so. Um, to doing the inventory, I've, I've just come to this place of self-acceptance where, you know, it, it's too exhausting to be otherwise. So I'm, I'm okay with my own day. Yeah. Thank you so much for your Don't. I have not traveled since I've become abstinent. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. The rage hits. What do I do when someone makes me mad? Um, well, I usually envision punching them, <laughs> you know, but I, I don't actually do that. Um, you know, <laughs> that's a good question. I'm, I'm, I look like a very calm person. I'm very mellow, but I have a lot going on in the head, you know. <laughs> These the still waters run very deep, and, you know, <laughs> I, I have a very vivid imagination, and, and so... You know, I, I get, I, sometimes I just see red, and um, I have to reach my higher power, usually right away, if I can excuse myself. You know, a lot of times this happens at work where I'm thinking I really want to stab somebody with a pencil, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> and we have this, this office, like a conference room that's private, so sometimes I'll just walk to the conference room, hit my knees and pray, and ask for help. And I'll make outreach calls, and um, if I'm able to, I'll start writing, you know, I'll write out the resentment. Um, you know, I call my sponsor, of course. Those kind of things have been helpful to me. Thanks. Yes. Thank you so much for sharing. Welcome. Can you talk a little bit about issues of people pleasing? Oh my gosh. <laughs> yes, people pleasing. That has been another theme song of my life, you know. Um, you know, that feeling of having no self worth, no self confidence. I 
sought validation from everything outside of myself. You know, I didn't feel okay with me unless you were okay with me. So um, I I chased that for a long time, and I I kind of felt I just actually wrote about it in my my tenth step. I kind of felt like a dancing bear, you know. It's like I just kind of felt like for that praise or that validation, I was willing to dance as fast as I could, you know. And that's exhausting. And I found out that if you aren't true to yourself, if you're not telling people how you really feel, people don't um, trust you, you know, because you're saying this to one person, you're saying that to another, and and you're not really getting honest. And I know for myself, when I encounter somebody that tells me what they really feel, even if I don't like it, I respect them. And I realize that that's the kind of person that I want to be today. So I try to. It's difficult. I still don't like to say no. I have a hard time saying no to people when they want something. Um, but I, I take a moment, you know. If I, if somebody wants me to do something, I don't say yes right away. I'll say, can I get back to you on that? <laughs> you know, so I think about it. I, if I need to, I run it by my sponsor, you know. So I'm, I'm just learning to create that kind of boundary and space, and it's still an ongoing process for me. Thank you. Can I go one more? Yes. Okay. My relationship with my mom is actually improving, and it's dramatic. It's improved dramatically this past year. Um, I lost my father about two years ago, and I was very close with my dad, and not as close with my mom. And you know, there was some distance. There was some time where we don't, we didn't speak to one another, and I was. Um, I was advised through my sponsor to, to send her cards, even though I didn't feel like I wanted to. You know, I would send her a birthday card. I remember having to send her a Mother's Day card, and I would go to the store, and I would look at all the cards, and they would have these descriptions of mothers and how, what you did for me. And I would get really mad. I would say, she never did that. My mom never did this. You know, wait a minute. <laughs> and I started getting really mad. And my first Mother's Day card was just like a plain, like, Happy Mother's Day. But this last year, um, this last Mother's Day, you know, it was a nice card. And I, I wrote some really beautiful things, and I've been calling her more often. Now, our relationship is getting a lot better. And I realize it's not her. She hasn't really changed, but I've changed, you know. And I'm starting to see my mom as a human being and not as a parent. And I had judged her. And, you know, through doing your inventory, it's like, how can you judge somebody else when you look at your own inventory and all the things that I've done, you know? And, and I see her now as a human being. And um, I'm able to love her today. Thanks. Oh, okay. Anyone else? Yeah. You're um, well, the person passed away that, that um, I felt I was a victim of. Um, you know, I realized through my fourth of just step that um, I blamed everybody for everything, you know. I, and even today, I catch myself sometimes, like, if I'm feeling uncomfortable, my first instinct is to blame you. Well, those people at that meeting are not friendly. <laughs> it's your fault. If I don't feel loved by somebody, it's my boyfriend's fault. He doesn't love me enough, you know. And so I'm realizing that that's my, like, on the match, that's who I am. I look for other people to blame. And so I realized, you know, what they did was wrong and illegal, you know. But um, what I did with it is, is, what, is the work that I have to do. And I think it's still a, pro- a 
you know, process. I'm still working on it. But I know that I don't want to allow that to to color my entire life. I don't want to allow that to define me. And, you know, I don't know about amends. I don't know that I need to make amends specifically to that person for me. But my part is, is not holding on to it and not allowing it to, to define me. Thanks. Yes. So, do a write or, you know, angry Does it work when I write? Well, writing is, uh, or praying, yeah. Yes. <laughs> praying works. Um, it may not work as quickly as I would like it to, you know. Sometimes it takes a few minutes, <laughs> and we want that instant gratification, you know. I want to feel better now. But um, I've always found that it has worked for me. It's always helped get me through. Um, it's sometimes the last thing I turn to. I'll try everything else before I turn to my higher power. And writing has been a challenge for me. My sponsor, every time I ask, come to her with something, she'll say, well, did you write about that? You know? And usually my answer was no. So I'd have to go back and write about something. Um, but every time I've, I've taken the time to really go inward and you know, talk to my higher power, you know, write about my feelings, I've found relief there. Um, <laughs> I have to say, um, it doesn't cost me anymore, but I do, there are occasions where I miss it, you know, I miss the, the idea of it. You know, I work in a, um, in a restaurant and we have a beautiful, gorgeous jelly case filled with pastries and desserts and sometimes I walk by a little slowly and I like look at the new things, you know, the cakes or whatever that they have. But I know for me that's poison. I think of it as poison and I'm not willing to put that in my body today. <laughs> Anyone else? <laughs> yeah. Yes, well, I like to read 86 through 88 in the morning. And then I like to read the Four Today books, you know, whatever the daily meditation is for the day. And I have a couple of other spiritual books that I like to read. Uh, and then I pray. I usually pray first, and then I, I do that reading. Um, that's, that's pretty much my, my daily practice. Thank you all for having me today. <laughs>